In these final weeks of the Easter season, the liturgical readings and prayers turn increasingly to the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost. This is foreshadowed today both in the first reading, which tells of a mini-Pentecost occurring in Samaria and in the Gospel, where Jesus speaks of another paraclete which the disciples are to receive. Central to the vision of the Acts of the Apostles is a sense of the Gospel as spreading out from Jerusalem to all Judea, Samaria, and at the hands especially of Paul to the ends of the earth. Today's first reading describes both the evangelizing activity of Philip, but note this is not the Apostle Philip, but one of the seven new deacons elected to assist the Apostles as we heard last Sunday. And the follow-up activity on the part of the leading Apostles, Peter and John. The Samaritans have received the word and been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was only when the apostles laid hands on them that they received the Holy Spirit. This rather curious separation between baptism and the coming of the Spirit in a way foreshadows the sacrament of confirmation. However, the separation does not fully articulate our understanding of these two sacraments. It would be wrong to think that the Spirit is only imparted in the sacrament of confirmation. The Church has always understood that Christian baptism also imports, imparts the Spirit. The narrative of Acts at this point probably has in mind a more experiential, Pentecostal awareness of the gift, similar to what the disciples actually experienced when the Holy Spirit descended on the first day of Pentecost, when there was loud noise, music, people speaking in tongues, and they all understood each other. The Gospel presents a further extract from Jesus' long discourse at the Last Supper. As we noted last week, the discourse oscillates back and forth between two understandings of Jesus' going away and return. On the more immediate level, there is the going away of his death and the return of his appearance as risen Lord on the third day. At another level, the discourse addresses his more permanent going away and absence from the disciples following his final return to the Father. The return on that day of which he speaks would then be his return on the last day at the end of time for the final judgment. But here there is more to say. The fourth gospel plays down the traditional expectation of Jesus' coming at the last day in the direction of emphasizing his abiding presence in the community. This lies behind the statement, in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. 
in contrast to the world, the unbelievers, for whom Jesus, after his death, will cease to exist, believers will see him and also will live. In the sense of here and now, experiencing his presence in the community and sharing in his risen life. Something that we experience every time we come to Mass and participate in the Blessed Sacrament, the body and blood of Christ. Thusly, the passage continues to directly address the situation of the disciples in the period when his appearances as risen Lord has ceased. The situation of the church that prevails to this day. Naturally, the disciples will feel the loss of his comforting physical presence, but if they grasp the sense in which he will continue to be present, they should not feel orphaned. In this connection, Jesus speaks of another paraclete that he will ask the Father to give. The implication is that Jesus himself has been a paraclete for the disciples during his earthly life. The essential idea behind a paraclete is that of someone who stands beside you in time of difficulty, providing a comforting, supportive, and encouraging presence. One thinks perhaps of a highly respected person whom you might ask to go to court with you and act as a character witness. Such is the idea that the gospel applies to the spirit. Though Jesus may no longer be physically present, the comfort and assurance his presence gave the disciples during his lifetime will continue in the presence of the Holy Spirit. In the face of constant trial and rejection from the world, the paraclete will be, for the disciples, the spirit of truth, in the sense of imparting to them a conviction that what they believe and hold on to is indeed reality in the most profound sense. We come close here to the fine statement in the second reading. Always have your answer ready for people who ask you the reason for the hope that is within you. Finally, we should note the way in which the gospel begins and ends with the sense that believers have entered into the same reciprocity of love that unites the Father and Son. Though the language may suggest it to be the case, the gospel does not mean that God's love is conditional upon human observance of the commandments. The essential commandment is that of love. What the gospel is saying is that when the community is indeed one where love prevails, the atmosphere of love that it experiences is nothing other than a sharing in the communion of love that is the Godhead. One of the things that they taught us in seminary is that the Father and the Son are united in love, but what unites them in that love is the Holy Spirit. 
by sending the Holy Spirit into the world as the paraclete, by receiving the Holy Spirit in us in our baptism and our confirmation, we are united in that love. That very concept that Jesus is trying to get across to us. In our adopted nature as sons and daughters of God, we too become like the Son, united to the Father through the Holy Spirit, enjoying that same relationship that Jesus has. And it's through that relationship that we will be redeemed and found worthy and enter into heaven.